So as we became a bigger fire authority, we noticed that we're running more violent incident calls. So as these calls started really to compile, we, we felt that we needed to make sure that we were protected while we're responding on them. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Well, the times are changing. You already knew that. What is this? I don't like change! Yeah, you tell them, Stewie. One change I didn't want to have to see is firefighters being issued ballistic vests. But that's what some departments are doing. One of them is the Arizona Fire and Medical Authority. Here to explain why they've gone this route is Captain Kane Nixon. Thanks for being on Code 3 today. Thanks for having me, Scott. Why did your department feel it was necessary to have these vests available? At the Arizona Fire Medical Authority, we uh, have noticed the uptick in violent incidents in the in the nation. Um, obviously, uh, like you said, this isn't something we want to see happen. But you know, the fire department has to respond to all emergencies. Um, with the increase in active shooter incidents, uh, you know, we need to have the proper equipment to respond. But like I said, there's there's more violent incidents uh, that the fire department are are responding to and, and needing to be prepared. So our ballistic uh, vests that we have are for both active shooter incidents where we're responding with PD, but also just in case the crew or the company officer feels that they need that extra layer of protection uh, on maybe a, a domestic violent incident or, uh, you know, an assault call, we we have it available for them too. Right. And they're kind of like seatbelts. You can't put them on once you realize you need them. So right. how do you guys decide in advance whether you're going to wear them or not? That's a great question. We have a policy that we rolled out with the vests. So the as we're dispatched through the Phoenix automatic aid system, there's specific call types that, you know, that we go on. So any of those calls that require the fire department unit to stage because the police department or the sheriff's office is also responding, uh, that's one of our uh, requirements. Any call that's violent in nature, like I said, so, a, you know, a stabbing, a domestic violence, an assault, anything like that, that's another one of our triggers that requires those ballistic vests to be uh, donned. And then we kind of leave it open, too, to the company officer's discretion. In fact, the policy says at the company officer's discretion. And, and what we do with that when we train our crews is we tell the whole crew, if at any point you feel that, you know, you might need this vest on or it might be a wise decision to, to don the vest, then speak up. And the company officer at that point, you know, should embrace that 
and and suggest that everybody put it on. So the the fourth component to that is active shooter incidents. So we have ballistic vests that are protective up to a certain standard. And then we also have rifle plates and ballistic helmets that are donned on active shooter incidents. So that's like uh, two, two levels of protection. We have the ballistic vest, and then we also have the ballistic vest with armor and helmets. It sounds like you use these primarily on EMS runs. Do you ever use them when you're battling a fire for whatever reason? Primarily, you're right. We do use them for EMS runs or for maybe that check welfare call in the middle of the night. But no, we we don't combine the the BPE, the Ballistic Protective Ensemble, with our PPE. Does your department train with police for active shooter situations now? Yes. So we are a, a unique um, fire agency. We're a fire authority. So primarily, we provide our services in the county areas of uh, Arizona communities. But we, so in that, those county areas, we work directly with Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. So we are integrating our training with them, but we are also bordered on every border almost with municipalities. So we are reaching across those lines and and working with the police agencies and with our, our neighboring fire agencies as well to make sure that we understand their expectations of us on those sh- those calls. And then we also understand our, you know, our strengths and our weaknesses, what we can and can't do. Now, I assume you've warned them in real-world situations, but the obvious question is, have you ever experienced anything thus far with an attack that they prevent injury? Not yet. We haven't. We have worn them. We are training in them. We're putting them to the test as far as, uh, you know, what we can do in the vest, uh, as far as wound care, uh, CPR. You know, we're, we're putting them through the gamut of things that we do on a daily basis. But we we have luckily haven't had anyone that's been assaulted or, or uh, stabbed or shot with a vest on. So that's that's a good thing. It's like you said, it's a it's like those seatbelts. You you always want to wear it, but you hope you never need it. Right. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. What problems do these vests present when you're working? We we actually went out and inspect uh, quite a few different manufacturers, different vests um, at different levels of protection. And we found a vest that we were really happy with that provides us the National Institute of Justice is the certifying body or NIJ. So we have a 3A enhanced vest, uh, which it will protect us up to you know, uh, handguns, shotguns. And then when we put our rifle plates in, it's a level four vest, which is the highest level of protection you can get. So far, 
they're very comfortable. They're lightweight. When you put the plates in the vests, it adds about 12 pounds total front and back. But even even with that, it's dispersed so evenly, it, you really hardly know it's even on. And we're used to having, you know, our air packs on. We're used to having our, our gear on. So altogether, that 17 pounds with the plates in is is really not that noticeable. Without the plates, it's even better. We really haven't had very many guys say that they're they're unhappy with the vest. I don't think anybody said that. So they're they're not very restrictive. Like I said, we can do a an EMS code, uh, you know, doing CPR, doing compressions, intubating our patient, and all with the vests on, and they don't really hinder our abilities at all. So was there a specific incident that prompted you guys to decide to look into this, or was it an overall feeling that safety is compromised without one? I'd say it's both. So not not one specific incident that didn't really cue us into this, but obviously society is driving our protective level here. So we're responding to the need. Unfortunately, there's you know more violent calls that are happening, and there's these active shooter calls that we're going to respond to no matter what. So we need to be protected. But the Arizona Fire Medical Authority has grown significantly over the last three or four years. And as we grow, we take on new areas with new demographics, new call types. So as we became a bigger fire authority, we've noticed that we're running more violent incident calls where it's either a, a suicide attempt, a stabbing, an assault, a shooting. So as these calls started really to compile, we we felt that we needed to make sure that we were protected while we're responding on them. All right, Captain King Nixon, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. And we've put some more information on our website at code3podcast.com slash vests. Check it out. Are you ready for the trivia question? It's wildland fire season, so this is appropriate. Where and when was the largest wildland fire in modern times? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. The Black Dragon Fire of 1987 was the largest wildland fire in modern times. It burned 20 million acres across China and the Soviet Union. That's an area about the size of the state of South Carolina. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Hood 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. And I hope you'll be here. I'm Scott Orrin. Until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.